Hey everyone, welcome back. This time, we're going to talk about one of my favorite people of all time, St. John of the Cross. He wrote some poetry that has been influential throughout all of church history, but also in my own. So, let's get started. So, if you have never heard of St. John of the Cross, don't worry. I'm going to share a little bit about his life, some of his writings, and then why they have been so influential to me. Maybe get a little personal, too. We'll see. But uh, I have right here in front of me an outline from his life, um, an outline of his life. But he was a Spanish Carmelite, which is one of the orders in Catholicism, and was a protege, a study, under Teresa of Avila, who wrote Interior Castle, which is another fantastic piece, which I probably will talk about at some point in the future. But for now, uh, St. John was born in 1542, okay, and then had a really an incredible life where he had written a fair amount and was a part of reforming Catholicism. So he was born in 1542, which means that was right in the middle of the Protestant Reformation. And so what's often lost is that some people think that the Protestants then went off and did their own reform but actually the Catholic side went on its own counter-reformation. It's almost like it was in the air, it was building up, and there was a number of people that really wanted to reform the Catholic tradition from within, which is also what Martin Luther meant to do, was to reform his tradition from inside, but that's a side note. So he was... Um, around during the 16th century, the 1500s, died in 1591, but then was canonized and became a saint in 1726, and then in 1926 was declared a doctor of the church universal by Pope Pius XI. Now that might not seem important whatsoever, it's okay if you don't think anything of the saints. But you might want to pay attention to some of the comments about being a doctor of the church. 
So what that means is someone is a doctor because their writings and their insights and their perspectives are seen to be true for all people everywhere of every age, of every century. It doesn't matter. And so he was declared a doctor of the church because some of the things that he had done in his lifetime were things that could be seen as being influential forever. (laughs) So he's mostly well-known for a piece called The Dark Night of the Soul, which you may have heard about. Um, Often if you go to a Barnes & Noble or some other random bookstore, you will likely find a copy of The Dark Night of the Soul. That phrase has even been adopted. It's even been taken in by other people um, to describe a universal experience that everyone goes through. A dark night. But he was also pretty well known for having written some other pieces uh, called The Ascent of Mount Carmel, um, The Spiritual Canticle, and what's the last one here? The Living Flame of Love. So what he would do is he would write poetry and then would go back and write commentaries on the poetry. Now that sounds similar to what people do with scriptures is that they'll take a passage of scripture and then they'll write commentaries on it. But St. John was very much influenced by Song of Songs, which is in the Bible, and it's one of the more romantic, in fact, it just flat out is a romantic book. And so he wrote his own romantic poetry and then gave commentary to each of them. And they're each in their own way, incredible pieces. He had a few things where he was, one, trying to explain the experience that's being described, and then another part he would describe what theology is happening in there. But really what he ended up doing was just putting words to what so many people experienced in their life, which is that dark night. So let's describe that, okay? So... It seems as though whenever somebody first comes to having some sort of a faith, some sort of an understanding that the world is larger, some concept that God is out there and that the world is good because God is good, that's wonderful. And then they get so enraptured by that. They love the moments and looking at the sunrise just brings them joy and brings them happy. Other people might look at the evening sky, and just be in awe of the grandeur. But then there seems to be a time where those things go away. Not the sunsets, not the starry nights, not some of the other experiences, but the consolations of those experiences go away. And it seems as though not much really brings joy anymore. 
So if you've ever experienced that, take heart. So have many other people if they're willing to admit it. But the scary thing is that St. John says this is a normal part of being a person of faith, is having a dry season that in some sense, he says, can last for years. So maybe you've met somebody, or you know of someone, or you are that someone, who when they came to faith, the world was just colorful. It was beautiful. It was delightful in every way. And then came the silence. The dark night of the soul. Well, St. John of the Cross, when he wrote about this, he said that this is a really profound time. That what's happening in that moment, and this is the analogy that he uses, is that you are being weaned off of those experiences. That the divine, that God, the Trinity, looked upon you and your life and said, they're becoming too dependent on those things. We got to take them out. Or another angle you could say like weaning like I said it's time to move on to some other types of consolation some other ways of being inspired in your life so for many people they find this completely terrifying or they find this to be a loss of faith, that it feels like their entire construct is falling apart because they no longer find joy or encouragement in faith in the same ways that they used to. And so they think that their faith is dead when really it is sloughing off some of the extra baggage that it is in some way... um, Moving on, going on to another season, a maturing season, doesn't necessarily have to be bad or, or interpreted as bad. But St. John said, um, this dark night of the soul, whenever you have this experience, it feels like you have the legitimate absence of God in your life that there is zero consolation or encouragement to be had anywhere. Um, The reason that we experience that darkness is because if God is light, what's really happening is that God is shining so incredibly bright that we can't handle it. And so it has blinded us. And so that's why we experience it as dark. So imagine walking around at night and you go into your bathroom and you flip on the light switch and it's the bright light that just shatters your eyes and you have to shine. I mean, you have to block your 
eyesight with your hands. It's kind of like that. Except it's so incredibly bright that it has blinded you. And so you may think that you're experiencing an incredibly dark and black night. But really it's just because of the superabundance of the activity of God. It kind of reminds me of a poem uh, from T.S. Eliot, where T.S. Eliot said, um, the only choice is that of pyre or pyre, P-Y-R-E, to be redeemed from fire by fire. For St. John, that dark night, whenever you're experiencing zero consolations from God, whenever you feel as though all of the previous ways that you found encouragement that you were able to keep your head up have gone away or don't work anymore, this dark night is a purifying night. It's one that is... And this is St. John's words, St. John of the Cross's words. It is, in some sense, exposing you to the fires of hell before you get there to help purify you here and now so that you don't have to go through it further down. That's deep. But it also says that that dark night is incredibly hard. It's incredibly real. It can be painful. It can be something that's very uncomfortable and maybe not something that everyone else can relate to. So, where's the hope in that, right? So why is St. John of the Cross such a good one? Well, I have to say, I first read him... uh, a number of years ago, maybe like seven or eight years ago, maybe more, I was taking the train into Philly and I was reading it along the way, Dark Night of the Soul, and I remember underlining it and I still have that same copy and writing in the columns and just thinking this is a really great book and everything else. But the unfortunate thing is I hadn't experienced a dark night of the soul yet. And so I was reading about these dark nights without ever having been there. And I'm not sure if that was a good or bad thing. It was good because I was aware of it and I read it. But the book didn't quite make sense fully. And then you flash forward a few years after that, just like, three years ago, or maybe about four, I was having a really difficult time with experiences at work, with the way that certain relationships were going. The dark night just came in real hard. And in all honesty, I found myself sleeping either a lot or very little, which is often a sign of being depressed. But in that time, it absolutely felt like there was the absence of God, that I wasn't quite finding consolation 
or encouragement or good things in the same things that used to do it for me before. Does that make sense? And then I remembered in the midst of that season, the dark night of the soul. And so when I went back and reread it, while I was in the midst of a dark night of the soul, it was almost like it was a key unlocking the treasure chest. It was the hermeneutic or interpretive tool that helped me to unlock the poetry that St. John had written. I kind of enjoy the fact that sometimes we can't learn something until we are on some level already experiencing it. I had learned about a dark night, but I really didn't know the dark night because there's a form of knowing that only comes by experience and there's a form of knowing that only comes by loving or diving into an experience. And so what I did in that time was I dove into the dark night as much as I could handle. And unfortunately, not many people, I think, knew a similar experience. For good or bad in our world, and you can be honest about it too, we tend to insulate ourselves from all of those experiences and we go through denial and we go through projection and we surround ourselves with soft and fluffy things to avoid discomfort. And so there's not many of us that actually get to a point of a dark night, but we will at some point. And unfortunately, there's some of us that deny that we are in it. But knowing all of this, I dove into mine. And what happened for me a few years ago, when I read it for a second time, was I was able to let the dark night be the pyre that T.S. Eliot wrote about. The dark night doesn't have to be one where you give up your faith, but the dark night can instead be one that allows you the opportunity to allow your faith to be matured, to be purified, to be stripped of some of its crutches, to be deliberately taking off some of the training wheels and learn how to walk a little bit. It helps you to get to better know yourself. It helps you to better understand how God operates in your life and through the lives of, lives of others. The dark night isn't a bad thing. It can be a painful thing and it can be an uncomfortable thing. But ultimately, it's a very, very good thing. Because on the other end of the dark night of the soul are some really wonderful and beautiful things. Chronologically, um, there is another poem that comes after Dark Night of the Soul. Dark Night of the Soul comes after a poem called The Ascent of Mount Carmel. 
But in the edition that I have, it culminates with his last poem called The Living Flame of Love. And you don't get to that poem until you've gone through the dark night. You can't get to the mountain view unless you've crawled up out of the valley and done the hard work to get to that view on top. So I'm going to look up just the poem. I'm not going to read the whole commentary. But this is what the living flame of love says. O living flame of love that tenderly wounds my soul in its deepest center. Since now you are not oppressive, now consummate. If it be your will, tear through the veil of this sweet encounter. O sweet cautery, O delightful wound, O gentle hand, O delicate touch that tastes of eternal life and pays every debt. In killing, you change death to life. O lamps of fire, in whose splendors the deep caverns of feeling, once obscure and blind, now give forth so rarely, so exquisitely, both warmth and light to their beloved. And this is probably my favorite part. How gently and lovingly you wake in my heart, where in secret you dwell alone, and in your secret breathing, filled with good and glory, how tenderly you swell my heart with love. That last verse kind of got to me right there as I was reading that. There was um, a real interesting uh, argument that was had back in the church. And it came down towards whether or not people thought they had um, a theology of glory or a theology of the cross. And the difference was this. When you have a perspective of the world that's shaped by a theology of, the, of glory, then you tend to think that God always works through glorious, good, and beautiful, and amazing, and magnificent, and impressive means. Or you could have a view of the cross, which says... God likes to work through what looks weak and defeated to bring about glory. That God is not above using the dark, the difficult, the struggles, the stumbles, the desolations, the dark nights of the soul. It was a pretty heated argument whether or not reality is shaped by a theology of glory or a theology of the cross. And I have to say that probably before my time going through a dark night of the soul, I probably had a more theology of the cross. 
uh, sorry, theology of glory, that God chooses that the way to glory is glorious. And now on the other side, I have to say, no, the road to glory has got a cross in the way. And you can't, 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 can't walk around it. You can't, you can't take a different road. You have to walk through that cross, that pain, that isolation, that short season or maybe long season where you feel alone and abandoned because that's a place where what is unnecessary dies and is left behind. I don't know the reason why uh, St. John of the Cross was called that. He, he chose that name for himself. And um, I think it's kind of fitting when you stop and think about it that he was somebody that at least acknowledged that you don't need to be afraid when you're experiencing dark night. That you also don't need to think that you're necessarily losing your faith or giving it up or that it's it was a childish phase that now you've outgrown. When the dark night comes, authentic, true, orthodox Christian faith will say this is not only normal, but at some point or another, this is God's chosen and preferred way to make us better. To again, take away our crutches. To purify our loves. And in some sense, until we go through a dark night of the soul, we still are dominated a lot by our ego and our own image of ourselves. And after that dark night, the image and the ego and all of the things that we think are good but actually get in the way of the divine and the goodness of the Trinity to come through in our lives, it's finally done away with. So I'm hoping this will be the first of a few um, where I will talk or um, maybe even interview a few people that I know about some of these wonderful writers from church history that are profound and delightful and challenging and, in my opinion, severely overlooked by the church in the West. In the past, oh shoot, I don't know, decade, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading the works of the holy people, the saints and the mystics, the people that are not popular on the bookshelves, but man have got good things to say. So if you're going through a dark night, I encourage you to pick up this book, go check out St. John of the Cross, and don't give up because... This is a time where you don't need to think that God has left you in the dark, but instead you can maybe interpret it as 
God is furiously bright with activity around you at all times. It's just too much to handle. So don't give up. I think that's it for now. All right? Check you next time. Cheers. Good wishes. Grace and peace be with you. Much love to all of you. Bye.